Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Bad. Boy, you always got to say something. Most of the time it's Tucker. Uh, this morning we're going to talk a few minutes about our Australia trip. We finally recovered from the jet lag, and uh, so we've got enough energy to talk about that trip. You all have those pictures? All right. Oh, Paula gave you some more pictures. Good. I didn't take very many uh, pictures. Paula, if you want to come up. Uh, so, you, most of you know, we went to Australia, you know, because you paid for most of it. Um, and we are, very, we, again, we're really appreciative for that. Uh, but there were, there were many highlights of the trip. Uh, and, and the biggest highlight for me, and I'm going to ask Paula some questions and we're going to have a conversation about it. But we went, the, the purpose of the trip was to, we were doing this, what did we call it? Discipleship, what, what was the event at Harewood called? I don't know what it was called, but it was a discipleship um, weekend for these people in the outback are so spread out. So we were in this town called Longreach, and Longreach is sort of a hub uh, for the state of Queensland or the outback region of Queensland. So all these other little towns, um, I can't think of I can't think of many of the names, Ingham and Northreach and uh, Townsville, but that's on the coast. And there, but anyways, there's all these little towns. So it would be as if like Burlington, the town we were in probably about the size of Burlington, Longreach was. But then around Longreach, the next town was probably three hours away. So these people, if there's not a church or a body of believers in the town, well, they couldn't gather uh, with a church body. So they had this network, and uh, Pastor Steve, the, the tall guy that's probably in at least one of these pictures, uh, he's the guy that took us hog hunting and all that stuff. But uh, he is sort of he leads this um, this group of young people that aren't able to gather in a church, and uh, some of them are. But the purpose of of us being there was I think they get together like once a quarter uh, at at the that's Steve right there. So once a quarter, they get together at, I don't know if they always meet at the place we met, but we were just there to be an encouragement to them and to provide uh, a weekend for them to uh, be uplifted. And, and of course, uh, we, we gained as much from them or more than, than, than we gave to them. But um, yeah, and we encountered, uh, you know, we, we would go out into Longreach and just have uh, Jesus conversations with people that we met at the... That was a that was a place called a man shed. Is that what they call men shed? So they shed. well they called it men shed. I don't know, but it was a wood. It was like a woodworking shop, and uh, that was in Brisbane actually. That the men shed, they would bring people. They just open it up. These older men would open up this. Uh, it's like a shared workshop for men to come in and do projects. And uh, we went to that that shed that day, and uh, we were just discipled by these old men, and it was it was amazing. Because as we were sitting there for the first, we were there for probably three hours. Yeah, that's the picture. We were there for probably three hours, and uh, we didn't know exactly what we we're supposed to be doing. And I, about ten minutes in, I was like, "What the heck are we doing here?" And then, and then we sat, sort of sat in a circle, and these old men just started telling us, you know, about their faith. And 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 then I thought, and we all thought, "Oh, this is why we're here. We're here to be encouraged by these older guys." So much of the trip, we didn't. Uh, other than the discipleship um, weekend, uh, we had a vision of what success looked like in our mind. So we thought there were going to be 100 people at that event. And there was some other event going on in town that drew people away from our event. And we were, you know, your, your natural instinct is to be discouraged by that. So we just ha kept having to remind ourselves our view of success and God's view of success are two different uh, vantage points. He's looking at things differently than we are. So we think, oh, 100 people aren't here. There's only 20. Uh, what a failure. But that's not a failure. So um, my biggest takeaway from the trip personally was Steve, uh, he, he kept saying, like, I'm not a traditional pastor and don't get scared. I'm not going to run away but, from what I say here. But he said, I have a hard time uh, focusing inward on the church. I want my, my focus is outward. Like I have a hard time staying here and uh, I know there's disciples need to be made all over this country. So he travels around 
he is he is a pastor of one church, but he only preaches like fifty percent of the time, and and his focus, he's not he's focused inward and outward. But um, he said this was the the most profound sentence of the trip for me. He said, if we are a disciple of Jesus and we're not making disciples, then we're not disciples. And for me, that was worth the whole two weeks of being away from home and and all those flights and all that. If we're if we consider ourselves a disciple and we're not making disciples, then we're not disciples. We're not true disciples, and that that's what Steve said. So, um, Paula, do you have, before I ask you three questions and we talk some more, do you have any other highlights? I don't know if this is on or not. But. Um, so Tink and I didn't usually work together. There were a couple times we did, so we had different functions as we traveled through Australia. And I was very fortunate in the fact that I was able to use the talents that I had for my job and have a, a class session with some people who are English learning students. And there's a picture of them there, just a few of the students you'll see. It wasn't all of them, but we took a picture afterwards. And that was a great opportunity because a, I was able to use the gifts that I've been given and I was able to talk to them about biblical principles, which the ladies there had had trouble doing before, but through our connection, we were able to strengthen that and they felt encouraged and are gonna be using some of those skills that I shared with them to strengthen that ministry that they have there. So I was very blessed by that. Uh, one of the things that I took away from this is, you know, I had it in my mind what I would be doing, what I should be doing, what this, and it seemed like that's just never what transpired. And luckily I was okay with that because I'm kind of a go with the flow person, you know, because I got lots of kids and and you have to be a go with the flow person with lots of kids. Uh, by the way, that plane that you just saw was of the devil. That thing made me want to die. Um, <laughs> it was bad. It was really bad. <laughs> but I survived. That's why I have it on there is, is, is I survived it. But one of, one of the most influential things for me was for whatever reason one morning we went and this is long reach and as tink said it's very spread out when you say oh you know uh, where'd you come from i came from such and such it's an hour and a half away huh and we have trouble making it 15 minutes to church sometimes and and they came there and we get there and we're at this kitchen of this church and it's a really nice little kitchen and I walk in the door and I thought I was going to be chopping carrots or something when I got there. And they said, okay, Paula, what are we cooking today? I, I was like, what? <laughs> said, yeah. Can you cook us some American foods today? Huh? Yeah. And I, I, I so, so I was like, okay, okay. You know, trying to try to get going and stuff. And then they said, and by the way, pastor Steve is definitely allergic to onions. Oh. Well, there just went 95% of my, <laughs> <laughs> what I had. But but I ended up I, I don't exactly know why, but I ended up getting getting left there from the group, just me that was from our group, with this group of young ladies, and they were all in their later teens to twenties, all young women. And we spent the whole day cooking. And we just spent the whole day being in great Christian fellowship. So then later that evening, you'll see that picture right here is is the evening we spent that night at the church i'd already formed this lovely relationship with all these young women and i did a lesson about being in the image of god and because they knew me they kept coming up to me after that and and just the whole weekend and coming up and talking to me about the lesson that i had and so god used that time of surprise cooking in order for you to form relationships and my challenge to all of you all is what type of event can you use to foster a relationship with someone so that that then opens a door that you can talk and be a disciple of christ and that you can spread the message of the gospel what opportunity are you wasting because you don't think it's a good opportunity and instead it's a great opportunity to just open that door and get a shot like that of my big mouth so <laughs> anyway that that's mine i'm sorry i was talking too much i'll stop no you're not talking too much the, and another, you, you mentioned it about distance like our perception of distance like for for me here at bellevue i think oh if i meet somebody up in florence well they're they're not going to come down to bellevue it's 10 miles you know uh that trip squashed my per perception of distance because for them like one guy uh those brothers they were like eight hours away oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um so if god wants if, if god wants to stir, stir something in in somebody well 
I'd say they'll be willing to come 10 miles and you know uh, so it was a way the Lord I think that distance uh, I think the Lord used that for me to say look if I'm stirring somebody up the distance doesn't matter if their if their desire is there they'll uh, they'll they'll engage so that was encouraging um, so a couple questions I have is how did you see God using the team on the trip one way that I saw that the team from the river Tink's uh, former church was that one skill that they have that I would really like to see our church develop is this ability to talk about the relationship with Jesus no matter what what happens if it was setting on a train if it was so they had a, they looked for opportunities to bring up the gospel and to talk about Jesus and and sometimes you know I I try to be the light of Christ but I'm not often that salt and so for me learning watching them observing them be that salt and interject Christ here and there in the conversation that was one of the best skills that I saw that them bringing to people is is just looking for those opportunities yeah and for me just seeing people's willingness to to get out of their comfort zone and i mean public speaking is not something that comes natural to anybody i don't think and most of the people on the trip had opportunities to to speak so uh god use use that how did you see god working in people that we met on the trip people that we met um one of the pictures you'll see is of me and a young lady she has really long hair this was one of the youth that was on the trip and I had the opportunity to teach the youth in a couple of sessions. You'll see that building where they were working with the adults. Um, I took the youth to a separate uh, facility because they were talking about topics that weren't appropriate for young people. And I had, I had a great time bonding. It was just a small little group. And the young lady with the really long hair, she's the same age as one of my daughters, Pollyanna. There she is. And she's at that stage where she has a passion for Christ, but she's not sure how to pursue that. And just, just through just sisterly encouragement, motherly encouragement, whatever you want to call it, I was able to build a bond with her and encourage her. So when we left, you know, she, she I think, is more willing to become that warrior that God has made her to be because she was a warrior. This girl would flip a hog like no other. <laughs> she was coaching these guys on what they were doing wrong when we went hog hunting, and she was a, she was a little beast. So, so yeah, that, that, was, that was something that was kind of special for me. And one thing I noticed about the people of Australia is they don't of course we're you're only there for two weeks I'm, I'm sure if we stayed longer we would have heard complaining of some sort but as much as we were we not just us the whole team from america we were complaining about the flying and all that and that stuff is hard but it's the same amount of difficult for everybody and i don't know that they would have complained so much uh one of the phrases i was i was talking about this in a small group session the the flying and this young uh this young man who's probably 21 or 22 i was talking about the flight and how it was so hard and he said uh he said, put some cement in your tea, mate, which means harden up, quit being so soft, you know? And when he said that to me, I was like, put some cement in my tea, what's that mean? And I should have known, I've been around concrete my whole life, and uh, I had somebody explain it to me, I'm like, yeah, I am soft, aren't I? Huh. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was, <laughs> so, church bells are ringing, that's good news. <laughs> so, uh, I learned the most from Steve. I learned from everybody, but Steve, anytime I could get in a vehicle with Steve, I would, and he would just, I told the deacons the other day, this is another thing that happened. We're riding down the road and his alarm starts going off. Don't be embarrassed, gay, it happens. Uh, his alarm started going off at 10.02, and he said, uh, sorry guys, I've committed to do this thing uh, with a couple men from our church that um, at 10.02 every day, we're gonna, we're gonna pray uh, Luke chapter 10, verse two, which is, um, I can't quote it verbatim, but the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So let's let Lord, please send out workers for your harvest. And he said, if y'all don't mind, I'm just gonna pray for a minute. And while he's driving down the road, he's praying, he's praying this prayer, you know, and that's just to see, uh, to see his gusto, to see his uh, devotion to what he's doing was, not that I haven't seen that uh, at my previous church and stuff, but to see it 10,000 miles away from a guy that I just met was, uh, 
it was fascinating and, and super encouraging. So last question, what were some challenges of the trip? Uh, for me, sometimes it was overthinking things, just being, I believe that you have your real self and your true self. Your real self is who this earth has made you and it's it's our sinful nature and it's it's all these things that we are before we find the salvation of Christ. And when you reach salvation in Christ, you have a true self, who God calls you, who God originally created you to be. Now the problem is while you're still on this earth, you sometimes get stuck in that real self. And the real Paula is a mess. She is an absolute, complete mess. She, she, she gets jealous, she gets envious, she gets just a total mess. And so throughout the trip, one of the things I had to struggle with was being my true self, who, who God calls me to be. And I use, there's a picture, there's actually a couple pictures, you'll see we spent- Is that real self or true self? <laughs> Maybe a little both. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but anyway, you'll see a picture of, of the place we stayed one night, and, and the beds look super cozy, but they were a cot with chain link fence mm -hmm. stretched over them with a, yeah, that, with a camping mat about that thick. Um, I can be a little bit of a princess about my bed. And I saw that and I thought, oh my goodness. And I thought, well, surely, because I was the second oldest person on the trip. I thought, surely all those young people will let me have, there were cushier beds that had mattresses more like this. Surely they'll let the old woman have one of those beds. And they all got out of the car and the chain link bed was left for me when I finally found my sleep. And I, I was, my real self was, really, really? <laughs> and then um, a verse came to my mind, which is, my grace is sufficient for you. It doesn't matter if you're sleeping on the dirt floor. You are here to serve me. Are you gonna whine about a cushy bed? Or are you going to do the work that I sent you to do? And this hit me like a punch in the face. And I slept on my mat in humility and it wasn't as bad as I planned it to be, but there were, there were so many times that were like that where I had to get out of my real self and be the true self that God calls me to be. Now, my question is for you. He's unprepared for this, so give him some grace. Is how do you feel like you can use this opportunity to lead our church into making stronger disciples? Well, I think this trip was just an, just an example of the intentionality that, that they have to, to go through, through this being so spread out. Uh, they have to commit. If they want to go visit somebody, it's a, it's a commitment. You know, it's not just, I saw them at the store or this or that. Like, if they really want to connect and encourage each other, uh, of course, they can do it with technology and all that stuff. But I don't think that has the same impact. If they truly want to, they ha they must be committed to want to each other as brothers and sisters. And um, yeah, I think just we have we have it a lot easier here than we actually realize. Like we've we can connect with people so easily. Like just at the store the other day, I've been going there on Fridays uh, for the fish, but also because there's people there and and it's right down the street. And all I have to do is just just go there and open my mouth and talk and try to try to make the conversation spiritual and uh, talk about Jesus with folks. And um, I, I think I think we make discipleship and I think we make evangelism way harder in our minds than it actually is. I think we just need to open our mouths and uh, love people well wherever they're at. You know, they might be a hot mess. That, um, we're, we're hot messes, but um, I think we just need to be willing to uh, to meet people where they are, or or keep doing that if we're already doing it. And um, I was just so encouraged by by I keep mentioning Steve over and over and over. But I think the Lord took me to Australia to meet him to to hopefully just get just a trickle of that energy that he has uh, for for his ministry and bring it back here. I think that was the biggest. I think that was God's purpose in sending me there. Uh, and of course, several other great things happened along the way. And I probably didn't answer your question real well, but uh, yeah, I think, I think we just need to be energized. Uh, 
what I bring back is I need to be energized about what we're doing. This is this is a this is a serious eternal endeavor, and it needs to be treated as such. And I saw that in Steve, and and that was good. And my biggest challenge um, was just you get used to being around certain people, and then for two weeks you're around twelve or so people that you don't normally you're not eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner with, and you pick up on people's tendencies, and uh, man, you can just let people's uh, quirks. Uh, it's not it's not their fault. It's something in us that we let people stir us up so much, and uh, to try to keep that keep those emotions and feelings at bay, and uh, that was the hardest for me. Just just kind of um, putting my real self to death, you know, like oh, why am I letting this bother me or that bother me or whatever. So it was a great trip. I don't have. Do you have anything else to say about it? Yeah, I still got to preach, so I want y'all. I don't want y'all falling asleep. Thank you, Paula. But yeah, I, I think I'm so glad Paula went, and um, because I think it's for you all to see us there together was was very important. I think, and um, I look forward to traveling with more of you in the future uh, as we plan some trips. And again, we have that. I know a lot of people signed up on that sign up sheet to talk about the global opportunities, and once all this. Excuse me. Once all this uh, Halloween and Thanksgiving stuff is over, we'll we'll get to meeting. So, again, I am still preaching, so I'm going to try not to speed up because I felt like I did that last week and I shouldn't have. But this week we are getting back into our Sermon on the Mount message. Um, we kind of took a break from that because of the traveling and all that. So I'm going to do a short review of what we've covered so far in Matthew's chapter five. Um, through seven. In the beginning, Jesus delivered the wonderful message to his disciples to inform them about the kingdom life. Well, that's what he does. That's that's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is for Jesus to explain the, the kingdom life. But in the beginning, he taught them the Beatitudes and the Beatitudes were blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then the next, the next lesson we learned about um, salt and light. Remember, we need to be salt to a rotten world and light in a dark place. And then Jesus told the disciples that he didn't come to abolish the law, that he came to fulfill the law. And this week, we are going to dive into something that I assume affects all of us at some point, and that is anger. And in the coming weeks, as we get all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, we will discuss, uh, we will discuss lust, divorce, and oaths retaliation and loving your enemies, giving to the needy, the Lord's Prayer, fasting, laying up treasures in heaven, anxiety, loving and uh, to love and to not judge others, and what it means to truly know Jesus. So let's dive into this anger lesson. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be recon reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him to court, lest your accuser, ha accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you teach us through this lesson that 
that you don't want us to be angry and you want us to love well and you want and you you outline in your word what we should do when we sin against each other and uh, just allow that to sink in this morning and allow us to uh, walk hand in hand as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. So I grew up, I've told this, I've told my background story countless times in here, but I grew up in the construction industry and the construction industry is a rough one. Can I get an amen back there in that, in that corner over there? Uh, so when you're around this rough, rough and toughness, uh, the construction industry is primarily men, from my experience anyways. Sandra back there might have a different experience, but I doubt it. It's mostly men, and it's mostly foul-mouthed men, and it's, it's uh, men that have been married and divorced several times. And these, are, these, are, these can be generalizations, but I believe them to be mostly true. Uh, men that sometimes neglect their children, men that are riddled with substance abuse, and this construction world is a toxic world, um, but it's, it's, it's much like the world that we're all around. I mean, people lack commitment to their own families and their, and their wives and their children. Um, and as I grew up in uh, this industry, I picked up some of these awful characteristics. Of course, neglect of my family wasn't one of them, but the primary one being the foul mouth. Um, before I was saved, I had, a, I had a really bad mouth. And I would say... I think, I think most of that, one, you're spiritually dead and you don't have anything worthwhile to say in the first place, but I think a, a big part of it is not thinking about what you say before you say it. So if you, if you don't think about what you say before you say it and you're surrounded by foul mouth, well then suddenly you're right there in the mix. So before I was saved, every other word that would come out of my mouth would be a sentence enhancer. I like to say I learned that off SpongeBob SquarePants. Um, so in many ways, God has healed my foul mouth over time. I still stumble and slip and say stupid things on occasion, but it's not my it's not my posture anymore. It's not I, I, God has slowed my mind down enough and and increased um, my desire to say thoughtful things. He's slowed me down enough that. I realize it's okay. I don't have to speak all the time impulsively. I can just slow down, take a breath, think about what you're going to say before you say it, and then say it. So as I've been thinking about this growth over the past few days, I've had a few thoughts. And one of them has been, I'm sure glad I don't say all these terrible words uh, that I used to say. These are harmful words and they're dirty words. And we all know the words I'm talking about, and I don't, I don't need to talk about it anymore because I don't want them to enter your mind. But um, another thought that I've had over the last few weeks, especially in Australia, is how funny language is. So when we were there, obviously they speak English, and, but you can only understand like 85 or 90% of what they say because some of their speech is just different. It's at a different speed. Um, they use different phrases like put some cement in your tea. You know, there's just jokes that we don't use. I mean, has anybody ever heard that one? I've never heard that. Okay. I'm not the only one. And tea is not really a common thing around here, or hot tea like, they're, like they drink, I guess. But um, Yeah, so you're able to understand 90%, but then there's 10% that you don't understand. And sometimes they would joke and, and we wouldn't laugh because we just didn't understand the phrases and the, and the punchlines. And uh, as we were in conversation about you know the 10% that we didn't understand, many times we would discover uh, that the jokes weren't all that kind, you know. Uh, they weren't real dirty or anything, but they, but they, as they were explaining to us, and maybe this was good because it might have convicted them a little, they were explaining it to us. They would say things like, it's really not that nice, you know, uh, but, but that's what we say anyway, you know. And, and we do the same thing. But I say all this to say uh, some parts of their language were vulgar to them but meant absolutely nothing to us because we're, we just weren't accustomed to it. They weren't necessarily cuss words in our language, um, and the Aussies might not even consider them cuss words, but in many cases, they weren't kind words. So here is one example that I can think of. They use bloke a lot, like he's a good bloke, or she's a good bloke, or no, she's not a good bloke. He's a good bloke, or he's a, he's a funny bloke, or whatever, and that's not a negative thing. But then we discovered that they used to call females Sheila, 
Yeah, Sheila. Hey, Sheila. I've got an audience over there. So they would say, they would use Sheila in the same way that they would use bloke for females, but then we thought, well, I haven't heard anybody saying that. So then we dove into why, why don't, why don't we say Sheila anymore? And uh, it seems like the consensus was it was outdated and, and possibly offensive to women. I think it was, I think it was maybe like the way we would use, and I don't know that anybody uses this anymore, but like chick, look at that chick over there. Look at, you know what I mean? Just sort of like a, Meh. But um, so we, I, I asked this one woman in particular, this woman that she worked at the boot store and I, I went and I'd go in there and, and we'd chat for a little while. And I said, she just seemed like a matter of fact, frank lady, like she wasn't beating around the bush about anything. And I said, her name is Kelly. I said, Kelly, tell me about Sheila. When did Sheila die? You know, when did we stop using Sheila? And she said, well, I think some people still use it, but you know, we live in a soft world and they, they've canceled Sheila, basically, I think, as nobody ever put it that way, but I think that's what happened. And uh, she said, really, it depends on the heart of, of how you're using it, whether or not it's offensive or not. So if you were to say, what a lovely Sheila over there, or look at that beautiful Sheila over there, like that's not, that wouldn't be offensive. And I said, well, so if I was to say, make me a sandwich, Sheila, what, what, how would that work out? And she, she You need to send those kids out of here. And she, she had some choice. We were laughing about it, but she had some choice words to share back. She said that lady would go tell you to make your own sandwich, basically. And she added a couple sentence enhancers in there. But, uh, but we had a good laugh about it, and, and I really enjoyed spending time with that lady. And as we left, we went and told her goodbye and everything, and that was good. But, so, but, but the profound thing that she said was it all depends on your heart. Um, the way you're saying it and the, the relationship that, that you have with the person, uh, whether or not it would be offensive. So that just made me think, like, as we go about our days uh, here on earth, we need to be mindful of the words that we, that we use. And God's word says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And uh, as I reflect back on how bad my mouth used to be, I'm grateful that God has changed my language. But as I analyze my heart based on the passage that we read, um, sometimes my heart is still murderous. Even though my language isn't, isn't bad in the American way or the worldly way, uh, sometimes I can still, sometimes my heart is still as black as it ever was. And uh, that's what's good about the word. When you read these passages, you think, oh, you, oh, you, think, you've, you think you're this way, but, but what about your heart? Why don't you check your heart? And... Um, Verse 22 in the passage says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, I like to read the NLT version because it, uh, I don't know why, but the way that it's written, it's written in a way that I would write. Not that the ESV sometimes isn't, but uh, when I read the NLT on a personal level, it just hits me better for some reason. And the NLT version where the ESV says fool, the NLT says if you call someone an idiot, you are, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And when I read idiot, I thought, my gosh, I use the word idiot a lot. And, uh, and I don't think I walk around calling people idiots, but in my heart, I will think, man, that guy's an idiot. You know, and that is not good at all. Especially when the word of God says, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And the same verse in the ESV line says, um, if I can find it, it says, somebody read it to me. Here it is. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if we combine the two and says, whoever calls someone an idiot will be liable to the hell of fire. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, um, I used idiot this morning talking to Josh. I didn't call him an idiot. I actually was joking. I called myself an idiot. I'm like, I'm such an idiot. Well, that's not good either. You know, where's my heart at? And, and then actually letting the devil, uh, even though we, it was friendly banter, but like, I shouldn't call myself an idiot. That's not a healthy, that's not a healthy way to look at things. If I believe I was created in God's image, I'm not an idiot. So uh, our words matter. 
And as I assess the words from uh, these construction sites and, and the public schools and the workplaces that we all attend, uh, as I assess the bad words, idiot many times don't, doesn't even make the list. So if I was to compile a list of 20 of the nastiest words I could think of, idiot wouldn't be on the list. But think about where your heart is when you call somebody an idiot. Even if you don't say it out loud, if your mind says, God, she's such an idiot, or why is she such an idiot? And, and I do this. I might not call them a blankety-blankety fool, but it's, it's still inside me sometimes. And um, that's why we've, you know, we must repent daily on a daily basis. It's not a weekly thing. It's not an annual thing. It's a daily thing. So suddenly I'm taken back to my thought about the complexities of language and, and words can promote, promote positive or negative meanings and these words can vary from culture to culture. But Jesus is telling us in this passage um, that our hearts and language should be aligned. And if I'm willing to call somebody an idiot in a moment of anger, which I don't think I do that, but how much has my heart changed even if my mind is thinking that, that people are idiots? I'm going to stop talking about idiots. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 says, I'll give you a minute, there you go. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer, can, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So I'm grateful to God over the last few years, um, let me see here. God's shown me in the last few years to understand uh, that the things about other people that annoy me aren't necessarily those people's problems. It's, it's my heart. Where is my heart? Where is my patience? When somebody's acting like a, what I just said, where is my patience with that person? Why, why, am I letting what, why am I letting something that's totally out of my control affect me in a way I should be, I should be patiently and joyfully walking alongside this person uh, and not letting them stir up these emotions in me? So many times I can lack patience in certain situations with certain people, and I assume I'm not the only one with this problem. When someone's a nuisance to me, I need to show them patience and love and peace. And uh, also, we rarely know where people are at. You know, we don't know what people are going through. People go through terrible things all the time. And, 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 and we let their personalities annoy us and make us angry? Well, that, that's nonsense. That's not, that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. So if we don't intentionally show love, peace, and patience, we could become tempted to become angry. And our anger can emerge in a few different ways uh, that, we, that we may or may not think about, such as, and this one, uh, this one might step on your toes, passive aggression, sarcasm, joking. And I just, I just want to talk about sarcasm here in a minute, but I have a tendency, I want to be the funny guy. I want to make people laugh. I seem like I've been able to do that well over the last 33 years or how has that how old I am I always forget how old I am because Heather's four years older than me so I always th sorry Heather I keep keep picking on you up here but I'm good at making people laugh see James just laughing just then so the problem with that is it can sometimes be at the I'm making a fine example of myself here the problem is it can somebody some sometimes be at the expense of somebody else and I just did it I just did it you know I didn't have that joke written down. Ah, man, I'm not an idiot. Tink, you're not an idiot. Okay. This joking has gotten much less aggressive over time, but it can still be a problem, especially if I consider sarcasm, because sarcasm seems like such a passive thing. It seems like, um, I don't know what it seems like, but it doesn't seem that harmful, but it can be dangerously harmful. Sarcasm can start off as an innocent method to make someone laugh, or a way to bring peace to a situation, but sarcasm can grow into a wildfire. So what if your entire conversation posture was sarcasm? People would become confused uh, with you and annoyed with you potentially, uh, which would promote anger in the person. So if I walked around being sarcastic all the time and people would think, well, why is he so sarcastic? I never know if he's being serious or not. And it just, that, that just stirs up confusion and, and, and becomes a nuisance to people. So we don't want to be angry with people and we don't want to make people angry. So continually being sarcastic is probably not the healthiest way to promote peace and joy in the lives of others. And the truth is this, our actions can cause other people to sin. You ever think about that? You ever think about the way you talk to people 
uh, maybe you don't even perceive it as sinful, but is it causing somebody else to stumble? The way you speak, if you speak sarcastically all the time, that could cause somebody else to sin. That's something that we need to be thinking about. What am I doing? This will be a takeaway. If all you hear today is this question, what am I doing in my life that causes other people to sin? There's, there's something. There's bound to be something. We all, we're all guilty. Um, and the way that we act and the way that we speak can cause someone else to sin. So, and if we flooded people with sarcasm all the time, they could easily become angry. And, and the whole lesson today is avoiding anger. So what would happen if you showered someone with love? It's doubtful that you would drive them to sin. But what if somebody sins against you? Oh, this is a hard one. Everybody gets all worked up about this one. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Jesus tells us what to do if another believer sins against us. This isn't somebody of the world offends us. This isn't. This is a believer to believer interaction. If a believer does this, this is what we're supposed to do. If you are a believer in Jesus and a believer sins against you, this is for you. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And, a, and the church here doesn't mean Bellevue Baptist Church. The church here means the body of believers. So we're not going to bring sins and offenses. We're not going to bring a sinful person up here and tell him, tell the whole church what he's done. This is for the, the, the body of believers uh, that, are, that are present. So if your brother sins against you, go and tell him. So if John sins against me, I'm, I'm a believer, John's a believer. He does something that offends me. The thing I don't need to do is go talk to everybody else about it and not tell John about it. I need to go to John. John is the offender. I am the offended. We both believe in Jesus. Jesus tells us in Matthew here what to do. And this is, again, this is referring to a Christian to Christian. Now, if somebody at Chuck's that uh, is cussing, fussing, acting a fool, uh, says something mean to me, I don't, the same guidelines don't, it's not the same guideline, not the same thing. I just, I, that guy just, he offended me and I just get over it and move on. Uh, I don't need to judge that guy. That guy's lost, okay? That didn't happen down at Chuck's. Not yet anyway, so. So if someone claims Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, sins against you, Jesus outlines in this passage how to confront them. First, you go to them. You confront them with the problem just between the two of you. And uh, the purpose of this is restoration, to restore the, the brotherhood, your, your Christian brothers, okay? Now, if this doesn't work, then you're supposed to, if, if me and John can't come to terms, then I find, I see Rodney and Dale over here. I say, guys, I did, me and John aren't seeing eye to eye on this thing. He's, I, know, I should probably reverse the thing. I'm acting a fool, and John's, John's uh coming at me but seriously we it says go find two or three more and and then confront the person and if this doesn't work tell the church and if that doesn't work is the brother saved i mean if the brother is not going to listen to his church family in a time of sin maybe he was planted on rocky ground maybe the maybe the thorns choked him out maybe he wasn't planted in fertile soil and maybe he wasn't saved in the first place no offense john i think you're saved i think you're all right but my point is this, Jesus outlined for us uh, how to treat one another. And when we, uh, to treat one another when we become angry with one another. And this message, message that Jesus shares is a difficult message. It's much easier for us to just complain behind each other's backs and uh, gossip, and, and which, which is more sin. He, Jesus tells us, okay, this is not going to be the easiest thing for you to do, but this is the right thing to do is, is take our problems to one another, especially if they're against each other. So my suggestion is to listen to what Jesus is saying. If someone is a believer and you are a believer and they've sinned against you, talk to them about it. Confront them about it in a loving way. And um, Jesus doesn't tell us to do things and then expect us to run away. He expect us, expects us to do what he's saying. It's so dried out up here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. 
Andrew's getting good. You in control back there, Andrew? All right, you're getting good. Good job. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So, not all anger is sin, but as believers in Jesus, we should not remain angry. Remaining angry gives the devil opportunities to do evil. Anger is an emotional arousal caused by something that displeases us. There is such a thing as righteous anger. God shows it in the Old Testament, but uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't participate in righteous anger, but because of our sinfulness, I think it's very hard to control. I think we probably ought to err on the side of caution of righteous anger. If we think we're right about something biblically, we, sh we should be confrontational in a, in a good biblical way, but I don't know that I don't know that um, I don't know if at that point we would consider that righteous anger. Uh, I don't know that I can even grasp righteous anger fully, but but God can and does. And this holy anger is part of the of God's judgment against sin. But it, like I said, it's difficult for us to participate in because of our emotions are tainted by sin. And anger, as we think about anger, and we think about the passage that we originally read, anger is the first step of murder. So somebody that murders somebody most likely. It started with just a little bit of anger or a little bit of um, confrontation that, that one person didn't like. What did I say a minute ago? Anger is an emotional arousal caused by something that displeases us. So anger is the first step of murder. So if we know that to be true, then we probably should try to not get angry about much of anything. I believe this is what Jesus was warning, about, warning us about in the passage that we're covering. So because our emotions are sinfully tainted, let's do our best to avoid anger even if we feel that it's righteous anger because we're so easily deceived and we do not want Satan to get a foothold in our life. Remember, John chapter 10, verse 10. This will be a very, very good one to memorize. It's really easy and it's, it just rings true. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's Jesus' words. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is calling us to an abundant life here on this earth and forever, but here he wants, us, he wants our life to be abundant on earth. We're not living an abundant life if we're walking around angry all the time. If, if people are making us angry and, and we're, we're fussing and carrying on because of what so-and-so did and so-and-so did, first off, are you, are you taking it to them? If they're a believer, are you taking this to them? I think most of the people that make us angry are lost people. Well, what's our expectation of lost people? They're lost. Well, they don't know. You know, we were lost. If we're saved now, we were lost before. I just told you that I used to cuss and fuss like a sailor. I've changed. Now I have an understanding. I shouldn't be offended by what a lost person is doing. And Jesus is telling us, I want you all to have an abundant life. I've come here so that you can have an abundant life. So live your life abundantly. This is... It, it's Jesus is the one with the power, but we have a choice. Do we, do we want to live and walk the way He's telling us to and live this abundant life? This abundant life comes through showing up here is one thing. Opening this book is another. And I promise you, when you read... The, I never would have known that passage if I hadn't opened the book and read it myself. I, the devil is our enemy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that you may have abundant life. I never would have known that. I probably heard it at church first. But then I opened it up and I thought, what's he talking about? I want to read back further so I know who's he talking to. Why is he saying it? What's the context of what he's saying? And, and, and once, once Jesus reveals things to you through the Word, then it comes to life. Has anybody felt that? Is that true for anybody? I hope so because you read that Word and you think, oh yeah. I, like I said before, I'm angry sometimes. Even if my words have cleared up, my heart is still awful sometimes. My mind is awful. And I think I need, th that's why I need to get in this thing every single day because I, without it, I am no good. There's no good in me apart from Jesus. And this is how Jesus communicates with me. And um, He's calling us to an abundant life. He's not calling us to a life of anger and impatience and uh, sorrow. He's calling us to a life of joy and peace and gladness and uh, He's calling us to, to glorify Him in everything that we do. And we can't, if you're angry, well, you're just wearing a weight vest. I mean, you're, you're steamrolled. Remember I laid Parker down here the other day and said, well, he's, 
he's laying on his back. He's he's dead. Of course, a saved person is not laying on his back, but you could still be getting punched in the face. And if we're walking around angry, we are not living the abundant life. So Jesus is calling us to an abundant life. And I want to this morning, I want to, you know, invitation is a time that we use to for people to come forward and 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 um, express interest in Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe that maybe to join the church, or but I want today to be a little different. I think if if you're if you're burdened by something such as anger, it doesn't have to be anger. If you're burdened by something, come forward and pray about it. There's something about come, making a move forward and coming and getting on your knees. I was going to make a joke earlier about if you want to kneel on the front row because nobody's sitting in it, but then people showed up out of nowhere to sit on the front row. But if you're burdened by something, anger. Or, or you've got something in your heart stirring, especially against another believer in this room, come up here and pray about it or talk to me about it or talk to John about it or talk to one of these deacons about it. Hash through these things. And there's something, I'm telling you what, if you come up here and pray about something that's going on in your life, even if you don't have to come up here and do it, do it in your chair and just thank God this thing is causing... Uh, causing me to not live the abundant life that you've called me to. Lord, I love you. I don't feel like I'm living the abundant life. Come up here, get on your knees and say, God, give me the answer to how to deal with this thing. Take this anger away from me. I want the abundant life. If you feel like you, you're here and you're not feeling excited and joyful about the gospel and what God's doing in your life, is that abundant life? I don't think so. Come up here and pray about it. Come up here and talk to me about it. If you're interested in learning more about Jesus, come up here and talk to me about that too. But there's so many... Our lives need... One thing that, I am, that I'm praying about right now is that my prayer life is probably the weakest part of my spiritual life. And I need to get on my knees. Prayer is how we communicate with God. That's how we talk to Him. And, and, and I neglect it. I don't know why. But I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to get on my knees. I, I, the last time we did that, I think it was a healthy thing. And um, I'm going to do it again. So if you're holding on to anger this morning, give that anger to the Lord and let Him guide you through it. And uh, just come, come forward and, and ask Jesus to direct your steps. There is beauty in true submission to the Lord. If you say, Lord, I'm, look, I'm here, uh, but I don't feel like I'm living the abundant life, reset my reset my mind so that I'm living the abundant life and I'm walking hand in hand with you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's people in this room that, that don't feel like they have the abundant life on this earth, and I'm not talking about finances, I'm not talking about health and wellness, I'm talking about relationship with you. If, if we don't feel or understand the relationship that we're in with you, I don't know that we understand what the abundant life is. Uh, you're calling us to walk in relationship with you. And most everything else doesn't even matter. If we're walking hand in hand with you and you're, you're, you're guiding our steps, then we have abundant life as you promised. And we know that the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And we don't want to be on, on his side. We want to be walking abundantly with you. And I just pray that uh, if anybody is here this morning and they have questions about that or I'll be on my knees praying, but if they want, they can kick me and wake me up and I'll stand up and talk. But um, I just pray that, that, that we realize that this isn't just a place to be on Sunday mornings. This is a life to live. And walking with you is the abundant life you're talking about. And I just pray that if we're not doing that, we start today and that you reset our uh, focus and our strategy for that. And, and I also just pray that, that your peace fills this room in a way that... Uh, that that we haven't felt in a little while maybe. If we haven't felt it, I just pray that that you just shower the room with peace while we sing this last song. And and um, Lord, I just love you and, and I'm, I'm grateful for everything that you're doing here at Bellevue Baptist. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.